Book Seven Magic, Murder, and Medea. So, we're going to skip the boring bits of the Argonautica and go straight to Medea. She was the daughter of King Aetes, who had the golden fleece that Jason needed for whatever reason. She was also madly in love with Jason. What's wrong with me? Medea muttered to herself in her workshop. How can I be in love with him? I only saw him for the first time five fucking minutes ago. Pull yourself together, girl. Come on, be yourself. But he's so hot. But to help him, I betray Dad. Should I do that and help Jason just so he can sail away to another girl and take all the glory with him? Twice. He'd never dare. Anyway, he's so charming. He's such a nice guy. He'd never do that to me. He'll always owe his life to you, Medea. But can I leave my home, my family? Of course I can. They're all shits. Think of all the art and culture that awaits. The things I'll learn. And I'll have the glory of having saved Greek heroes. I'll have my Jason. My head will touch the stars. The voyage won't be nice. I'm always a little seasick, but Jason will be worth it. But this is a bit of a dido and a near sitch, isn't it, Medea? Don't kid yourself into thinking this is okay by calling it marriage. This is treachery. As Medea said all this, she was on her way to the altar of Hecate. Cupid had got so bored of all her prattling he'd left, so it seemed Medea almost won. There was almost no story at all. She'd crushed her love and thought of her honour. But then who should emerge but Jason, unfortunately having a particularly handsome day, and she caught him at his best angle, and he threw himself at her and promised to marry her if she helped him, and that was it. Medea was sold. She made him pinky promise on the marriage part and to look after her, so that was fine. Right? The next day, the king, his people, Medea and the Argonauts, assembled to watch Jason versus the fire-breathing bulls. He had to defeat these to get the fleece. It was the king's little twisted joke. I don't really know why he owned the bulls in the first place, though. Thanks to Medea's magic herbs, Jason wasn't touched by their fire, and he managed to yoke the bulls and plough the field. He also, for some reason, and this is a throwback to an earlier episode, had some snake's teeth in his pocket, and he tossed those over the fresh soil like seeds, and fully formed men grew from them, and quickly destroyed one another in a fight. I really have no idea why. Medea chanted an extra spell to doubly protect Jason, though he didn't need it. He'd lobbed a huge rock at the weird, banged soil men to distract them. Where did he get this from? Was he still riding a bull when he did this? So many questions. Anyway, the Argonauts cheered and ran down to hug Jason. Medea wanted to hug Jason too, but she didn't want to look too keen. Oh, Soz, there was also a magic dragon that guarded the tree where the fleece was kept. Jason squirted some herbs on that too, like a bit like lemon juice, I guess, and it felt right to sleep. He seized the fleece in one hand, Medea in the other, and went home, triumphant. Now... Jason was a bit sad because his dad was pretty old, so he begged Medea to give him more life, maybe by snipping off some of the years of his own life and adding them to his father's. Medea couldn't bear such a thing, partly because Hikate wouldn't allow it, but mainly because that would mean she got to spend less time with Jason. 
But still, she thought his love for his dad was kind of cute, especially as she had abandoned her own and never really understood functional family relationships. So off she went at midnight to one of the most magical hours to pray to Hikate, who answered, naturally, with a chariot led by winged dragons. So many dragons today. Medea took all this in her stride, hopped on and spent nine days and nine nights soaring amongst the stars, scouring the world for herbs to renew life. When she got home, she performed a typical Chthonic sacrifice, which means ones to the gods of the underworld, in this case Hades and Persephone, digging two trenches, offering a black sheep as a sacrifice and slitting its throat so the blood poured into the soil. She added in a few cups of wine and milk for good measure and a pinch of chanting. She then had Jason bring out his father and lie him down on a carpet of herbs. When Jason and all the other attendants had gone, she set fire to some blood, got a cauldron bubbling, and chucked in every sort of magical item you could imagine, including, but not limited to, mysterious liquid, a stag's liver, the beak of a crow, and the entrails of a werewolf. Tasty. The cauldron overflowed, and where it dribbled onto the ground, flowers and grass sprung up. Medea figured this meant it was ready, so she slit the king's throat, no hesitation, and poured the potion in. When he sat up, he was 40 years younger. Who needs moisturiser? Now, apparently, Medea developed a bit of a fetish for this, because she then went off to Jason's uncle, who was also a very old king, and encouraged his daughters to help make him younger too. They agreed, but unfortunately all of them stabbing him at once was a bit more hashtag Ides of March than hashtag Lazarus, so Medea finished him off and chucked him into the cauldron as well. She flew off on her dragon for some time, and when she eventually got back to Corinth, Jason had, predictably, married someone else. But no matter. Medea set the girl on fire, killed her own sons, the ones with Jason, and then trundled off to Athens where she married the king Aegeus. Now... Theseus came to Athens on a general peace mission. He was the son of Aegeus, but Aegeus didn't know. <gasps> Such drama! Medea did, of course, so she tried to kill Theseus off. I don't really know why, but she did. She convinced Aegeus that he was an enemy, and one night at dinner Theseus was just about to take a sip of poison that Aegeus had handed him, when the king noticed the family crest on the hilt of Theseus' sword. My son! Aegeus cried, smacking the goblet out of Theseus' hands and embracing him. There was a huge sacrificial party held in Theseus' honour and in the joy of a family being reunited. And in all the commotion, Medea slipped quietly away. Anyway, everyone was thrilled to see Theseus, for once, and the whole Medea scandal was quickly forgotten because it felt like Aegeus had only had his son around for a couple of paragraphs, before King Minos of Crete, yeah, the Minotaur one, was stirring up for a war. Minos was seeking to avenge the death of his son, Androgeus. We don't know how he died, but we do know it was in Athens, so basically this was a war of Minos versus the Athenians. He went all over Greece to gather men and their cities, and he did all right until he got to Oenopia, which we know as Aegina, ruled by King Aeacus, who cute fact, named the kingdom after his beloved mother. No sooner had he refused to help Minos, because he had already pinky promised to be a long-time bestie of Athens, and no sooner had Minos given him some cliché, deadly threat and sped off, than a ship from Athens arrived to 
double check they and Agena were still mates. You don't need to ask for my help, Zephyrus, Aeacus said to the Athenian ambassador, who had come complete with Olive Branch. You already have it. Cheers, bro. Cephalus slapped Aeacus on his wrinkled back and looked around. Nice place you have here. Oh, it's not as good as it used to be, Aeacus murmured, and probably dramatically turned his gaze to the sky. Not like in the days before Juno sent the plague. There was an even more dramatic pause. When Cephalus didn't ask any questions, Aeacus continued anyway. Juno sent the plague because, because, well, she hates everyone, doesn't she? We thought it was an average plague at first, just flu season, a bit out of hand, you know, but then we got the snakes and all the crows died and the cows were dying too and the wool fell off the sheep and the people started burning from the inside out and we started to think something was a bit funny here. You find people lying on the ground or in riverbeds, desperate to cool down and desperate for water but nothing helped them not even our best doctors could cure them and the closer you got to them the shorter the time was before you inevitably got sick too there was no cure death was everywhere you see that temple to jupiter over there bloody useless the god abandoned us for fear of his wife though i suppose we'd all do the same wouldn't we Bodies lined the streets, they filled the temples as foul offerings. There was no room or time for burials. All respect for the dead went out of the window. One day, I broke. I yelled up to Jupiter and I told him if it was true that he'd slept with my mother, Regina, and that's why Juno was a little angry with us all, because we reminded her that her husband had gone off on one again. I said he should either restore my people or kill me. There was a flash of lightning, and I wasn't dead, so I took that as a good sign. We have an oak tree, a bit sacred to Jupiter, because we stole some seeds from that big one at Dodona and planted them ourselves here. I went straight to that, and I saw a load of ants, another good sign. So I kissed the tree, we give it up on hygiene anyway, and I went back to bed. I saw the tree in my dream, but when it trembled, all the ants, still in my dream this is, scattered and they woke up and when i woke up you know when well they 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 scattered and they grew and sorry i get a bit a bit confused with my dreams but they grew and they grew and then they turned into humans in my dream we're still in my dream very odd i thought it was very odd this i thought no more of it when i woke up than the dream of where i'd become some woman called helen but then my son called out to me and told me to look out of my window And sure enough, all these enormous blokes, just like in my dream, they were here, and they held me as their king. I named them the Myrmidons, the Ant-Men. And so, they nattered long into the night. The next day, one of Aeacus' sons, Focus, noticed Cephalus had a pretty snazzy javelin, and asked him where he got it from. Ah, this. Cephalus waved the gold-tipped spear in the air. It's a long and sad story. Always returns to me this, no matter how I throw it. It's like some ancient boomerang. It destroyed me and my wife, you know. Another pause. Having a taste of his own previously silent medicine, Cephalus began his tale. 
I love my wife Procris more than anything in the world. You'll have heard of her sister, Arithia. Princess of Athens who got kidnapped, but I always thought it was Procris who should have been kidnapped, really. Hashtag ancient world chat-up lines. Because she was always the most beautiful. We'd only been married a short while before Aurora kidnapped me. Hashtag karma. Anyone? And held me against my will. It was awful. Procris was the only girl, the is, the only girl I'd ever dreamed of. And I told Aurora as much. She eventually let me go. A bit sulky-like. And she said, Have your stupid mortal Procris then, but you'll soon wish you hadn't. Of course, that worried me a bit. I'm a bit of an overthinker. What if Procris had cheated on me? I was always punching a bit. So I decided to test her and her overall helped. And actually, maybe I should have been a bit suspicious when she offered to help me. I disguised myself, snuck into the palace in Athens and spent an age trying to win her over with all sorts of gifts. All she did, bless her heart, will weep for her husband, a.k.a. me. And she said she couldn't bear the grief. See, she thought I were dead. After... Months, I did convince her to fancy me, and then I revealed myself for who I really was, and revealed her as a cheating or I'd always guess she was. For some reason, she didn't like being tricked, and she didn't understand why I pretend to be dead and simultaneously like another suitor when I could have just told her the truth. Anyway, for some reason, she claimed she then hated all men and ran off to follow Diana. I apologized and I apologized, and eventually she forgave me. And we lived in perfect harmony for a bit. When she took me back, Procris also gave me a dog, as if the gift like of herself wasn't enough. And this javelin. The dog had been given to her by Diana, and it were great, but one day we used him to fight that wild beast thing that were plaguing the city, and then they were so evenly matched they like got turned into statues, haven't But the javelin Focus, the boy who had asked all about this in the first place and who was at the age where you really loved swords and not girls. What about the javelin? Oh, yeah. Cephalus continued. Well, me and my progress, we adored each other. Neither Jupiter nor Aphrodite would have turned either eyes, I tell you. But one day, I were out hunting and I were lying in shade. I often get a bit hot with all that running around, as you understand, and I often a bit of habit of talking to myself. So, well, you know, when the breeze hit me, I must have said something a bit enthusiastic, like, you know, like, oh, fuck, that's good, or something along those lines, because some idiot heard me and presumed I was having an affair and went to all my progress. The next day, it was all same. I was having my little lie down, talking to the wind, like, but I heard this weird noise, like, moaning. And thinking it was some animal, I instinctively threw my javelin. I'm a very good with that javelin, you know. But I only then opened my eyes and saw I'd stabbed my darling Procris instead. she come to check I wasn't really sleeping with anyone, I suppose. She died in my arms and, well... Mm. Cephalus couldn't go on. He was overcome with tears. Focus was pretty sad too until his brothers came and told Cephalus to shut up and man up because they got a war to go to.